Welcome, welcome everyone to King John Act 2, the director's commentary with me, George Linfield, your director. And joining me today, I have... Dramaturge Landon Bell. And assistant director, Joel Allen. And we kick things off on a train, sort of. Um, it is King Philip's moving castle, um, which is on train tracks. And I'm not sure how that how that will work, really. Like, I mean, I guess it's kind of fixed as to where it goes. Um, but yeah, we're in France as opposed to England. Yeah, I, I might have been reading about uh, the mortal engines when I wrote this. Um, <laughs> and so I was thinking, okay, uh, John's got a flying palace, so what do I do for King Philip? And I had just been reading about this Mortal Engines thing, and I'm like, okay, he's got a crawling uh, castle, a moving castle. We're gonna go with that. <laughs> I just, I love, I love the idea that it, it kind of, it contrasts so nicely with John, who is like up in the clouds, bit of a bit of a dreamer, as opposed to the more grounded, realistic King Philip. Mm -hmm. So flying versus grounded. Yeah, that, very nice that, allegory there. That was actually one thing I was going for with uh, John's palace. Um, less so with Philip's, but with John, I definitely wanted to to make him feel like a, a pie in the sky kind of guy. <laughs> so hypothetical question before we introduce our cast: If you were to give Richard the Lionheart a palace, what would it be? Uh, well, what era? Does it have to be, like, previous era to this, or can it be any era? I guess we'll go same era, same era as this. Uh, a giant locomoting horse. <laughs> there you have it. But now, if it was any era, he would have, like, one of those Pacific Rim mech suits. <laughs> that would be his palace. <laughs> and he would he would just stomp all the way to the Middle East with it. Crusade in that. <laughs> Reclaim the Holy Land. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. All right, so I guess I should introduce this cast. Uh, we've got Will Harrison Wallace as Louis the Dolphin. Uh, we've also got, um, let me look at my list here, uh, Kristen Mass as Arthur, and Olivia Steele as Austria. Oh, I think Olivia Steele is Blanche. Oh, excuse me, Blanche. And we've got Alexandra Elroy as Austria. Alexandra Elroy as Austria, that's correct. But they were both our female leads in As You Like It. And that's exactly why I got them mixed up. So that's, yeah, I was going to say, that's probably why. Uh, and then we also have uh, Belina Cutler as Constance. And we have the uh, we have King Philip, the French king, played by Tahir Chowdhury, talking now as well. Ah, uh, yes. I was going to say we've got the French accent coming out in force in this episode, as we have um, the encounter between King Philip and King John. And uh, the reason uh, Alexandra doesn't have a uh, Austrian accent or anything is, uh, or excuse me, French accent, is because uh, her character is from Austria. 
She's actually a ambassador. And it will reiterate the point we made um, last uh, in the last commentary about the accents. We're quite kind of free with interpretations of these accents as well. Right. Uh, we also have Lisa Michaud here as Chitian, who, um, again, another French character, but um, in, in talking to her about her role, um, she actually went with a more relaxed take on it just because her character is an ambassador to England and these other countries. And so it makes sense that her English is not quite as... Um, not as quite as rolled, not quite as accented as the French characters. Mm. I think it's a very mature, kind of measured performance as well. So Philip has just thrown a lever and... Uh, Sending down his ramp to meet King John outside Angiers. Peace be to France, if France and peace permit our just and lineal entrance to our own. If so we've got the the meeting of the two the two sides here, England and France, historic rivals. So of course, um, I feel like King Philip is just trying to make an entrance here. He's very showy. He's very showy with his big palace. I mean, if you could go to war and just be in this giant armored fortress, I mean, of course, who wouldn't do that? <laughs> Goodness, this French accent. <laughs> this is so good. Now, uh, Tahir is actually, this is the first time he's uh, been in a pendant show. And so it was uh, it was really cool having a newcomer uh, get a, one of the major roles. I think the reason, or well, one of the reasons that um, he's so good in this role is just the, just kind of the gravitas he gives it. Philip is, he's a regal character and he's supposed to counter... Um, counterpoint King John's kind of foolishness as a leader. He's quite a he's quite a typical monarch as opposed to King John, who's less so. Right. He's also really serious. Um, yeah. Whereas as John is just he doesn't care so much. He cares about himself, but he doesn't really care about everything else. I think we'll bring in a bit of historical context here. Like King King John, uh, historically was a very um, foolhardy ruler, and he's famous for uh, forcing to sign away a lot of his powers, handing power over to uh, the barons in England by signing the Magna Carta, which was the first step on the way to a kind of formalised government over here. So historically, he's thought of as a as a bad king, right? Of course, it is interesting when you when you consider the fact that he did sign the Magna Carta. Um, that was such a major historic event in the development of democracy, and yet Shakespeare doesn't reference it once, not once in the entire book. Oh yeah, because Shakespeare's focus is that he is a bad man. <laughs> mm. It's interesting the the difference in King John as a bad man as opposed to Richard the Third as a bad man. Mm -hmm. Well, or even Richard the Lionheart, who 
we have this really fantasized version of him, but he was a really sketchy dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think, like, Richard the Lionheart, though, was such a brave or considered a brave warrior for going to, uh, to the Holy Land to crusade, which at the time was, like, the best thing you could do as a king. Um, so King John's never going to live up to that. But, yeah, definitely a, definitely a sketchy guy. You are the hare of whom the proverb goes. Whose valor plucks dead lions by the beard. I'll smoke your skin coat, and I catch you right, sirrah. Look to it. In faith I will. In faith. Oh, well, he did become that lion's robe that did disrobe the lion of that robe. It lies as slightly on the back of him as great it's kind of a, a fooly um, feel to that dialogue there as well. Wordplay. What craker is this saying that death's our ears with this abundance of superfluous breath? Louis, determine what I do feel Philip the Bastard is probably the most flirty character is in this play as well. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> I don't know how I get that sense. He totally runs with it. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, we did have, uh, just a moment ago, we did have, finally, uh, Olivia Steele as Blanche. And then we also yes. had... Uh, I do defy Julie Eve as uh, Queen Eleanor. And completing our cast, we've got Carl Garrett as Philip the Bastard and uh, Russell Gold as King John. Yes, indeed. Oh, I did forget to introduce him. <laughs> I was thinking I did earlier when I was talking about John. Possibly. I just wanted to cover all our bases. Uh, yes. And there's only two other characters in this. They show up a little later. But this is our principal cast. And um, to complete a thought I began uh, in our last commentary, um, part of the reason we went with the French accents for the French characters, where normally we don't care so much about accents, but we pretty much had to here, because otherwise it's very difficult to keep up with who's on whose side. Monstrous injurer of heaven and earth. Yeah, and it's it's one of those plays where there's definitely one side and another side. Whereas you you need to have that clear differentiation between the two. And I love this speech and this performance. Constance is my favorite character in this play, period. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, when it came time to cast Constance, I was I was a little scared that we weren't going to get the right person. <laughs> but I think we, this like Felina Cutler's just been absolutely fantastic. No, she totally um, nailed it. She went above and beyond. And the, the uh, interactions with her and also Queen Eleanor's. Just uh, brilliant. A woman's will, a it's two matriarchs, kind of. Throwing shade at one another. Yeah, Constance has a a, a bit of a uh, tough relationship with her mother-in-law. Which, speaking of, um, an interesting factoid about this play is that uh, Shakespeare, or, or at least 
With the way it used to be with kings, there was the monarch and his wife. And the, the hierarchy of this yeah. play is the monarch and his mother. And it's very different. And, and it, in a way, highlights some of the immaturities of King John. Yeah. Definitely. So this is this is um an interesting kind of discussion they're having, and it it seems slightly comedic to me as well. This this one guy coming up to the walls and being spokesperson for the whole city. Yeah, I wrestled with what actually to name this character because some versions called him the first citizen, uh, some called him the mayor, and so I just went ahead and went with the first citizen. It felt easy enough for me. Yeah, I think thinking of him as kind of like a mayoral uh, character is is a nice thing, though, given the magnitude of the discussion here. Right. It's like... You know, we are gonna flatten your city. <laughs> Which that is that is actually one of the downsides of this, this giant moving castle is because Philip could totally do that if he wanted to. Yeah, and we will come on to the battle that is uh, expertly been put together by Joel in just a second. But yeah, both sides could definitely flatten this city given what they're chucking around in that battle. Low in this right hand, whose protection is most divinely vowed upon the right of... It's like, on one side we have ground superiority, and on the other side we have air superiority. <laughs> and in the middle we have this city that is doomed. <laughs> and I think here Shakespeare's... He's slightly mocking uh, the foreign policy of... English kings at the time, because King Henry VIII is famous for going over to France, capturing two towns and saying that was a successful trip, despite the fact that capturing two small towns is no way to capture a country, but right. I like to think that's a kind of veiled stab at King Henry's you know, boldness. Of course, at this illusion when it comes to war. at this particular time in the English history, um, England had a lot of France, and I didn't realize that till I was going back and looking at a map. Yeah, they had quite a bit, and a lot of unusual places in France as well. Mm -hmm. So we obviously had the Normandy from well claims on Normandy and Calais, which is around the Channel, but also areas in southern France as well were owned by um, the British king, the British crown at that time. But France was kind of unified later than uh, England, so yeah, kind of makes sense. And this was way back when Europe was even more fragmented than it is now. I, I mean, the mm. fact that Austria is one of the main ambassadors kind of gives you an idea, because nowadays Austria is just like, it's a small place. It's not so big. <laughs> not so big a deal. Or shall we give the signal? Yeah, European history around this time is is really fascinating, and I think Shakespeare as a playwright is really interested in that as well. 
Um, so there's uh, any discussions about geopolitics, kind of analysing that in the in the historical with a historical mindset, always I find produces interesting results. Absolutely. So, um, before I forget, um, introducing another cast member. Um, uh, the first citizen was played by Keith Morrison. Yes. <laughs> Who is boldly saying, yeah, come at me. Amen. <laughs> Saint George has slain the dragon, and as he sits on his horseback at my hostess's door, teach us some fence. Sura, were I at home at your den, Sura? I love how cool and calm Philip the Bastard is at this point. Oh yeah. And make a monster. Well, he's definitely the most noble character in the play. Like, if you have to come up with a a hero for this play, it's definitely Philip the Bastard, because he he gives up so much, and then he is loyal to this king who, number one, owed him nothing, and number two, is terrible. <laughs> yeah. But he stayed committed. And I think there's a certain... Sorry, you go for it. No, no, that was all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is actually a, this is a good part to... Uh bring Joel in because this is the the part that he put so much work into the the battle goodness yes so kind of talk us through how you produced um this kind of soundscape for this massive battle between a flying castle a flying palace and a moving castle uh oh gosh <clears throat> Well, it starts off with the, uh, the I, I kind of misunderstood what was going on and took it a little too seriously, and so the, the flying castle I kind of imagined as like a giant airship rather than like a plane or something. Yeah. And that comes, like, drops down from high up and starts launching grenades and whatnot, and then has, like, people repelling out of it and charging. While uh, the uh, Philip's castle is firing, like, anti aircraft shaft at it. Black, that's it. Something, whatever you want to call it. And uh, England is on the left side, and France is on the right. Your king and England's commander of this malicious day. It is good stereo feel to it. And um, everybody's a really, really terrible shot. There are no explosions, and no one screams and dies. You don't hear anybody falling over or anything like that. So. Oh, no Wilhelm screams. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to say that. I, I realized that I was re-listening to it uh, after I'd already sent it, and I'm like, oh wait, oh damn it! I think though, this is what we were talking about earlier with the uh, the Tesla grenades. That's what the uh, that that big sparking sound effect is. When Every so often you hear something launch and then that's what that's supposed to be. I think that one sounds really good. 
Thank you. It's a lot of Right. Yeah. Sound that didn't just sound like somebody, you know, getting shotgun doorknob. Or a lightning strike, you know. It's probably the hardest part of this play is is taking is taking a uh, foley and and other sounds and actually ch chunking them together to make them sound steampunky, if that's a word. Now, um, Joel said that he went a little too literally with the sound effects, but um, in my head when I was writing it, that's actually what I had in mind was John's so stupid he'll just take the whole palace down and we'll just drop all these bombs <laughs> and we'll repel people and. We won't even care about the damage or none of that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I didn't realize any of the context. I just kind of looked directly at the scene alone and thought, okay, we're actually fighting. So, but hey, if it works out, I'm happy. <laughs> and we'll just chalk up not hearing any people die to the fact that a Tesla grenade would just shock them to death. You're not going to hear much. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also any screams would perhaps have taken away from the uh, the French Herald and English Herald coming in and True. and making some important kind of di dialogue to the story. So. True. Uh, An artistic choice. Of which uh, those were played by Susan Evans as the English Herald, and Dragon X Blink played our French Herald. And that, that is the entire cast for this episode. I don't have to bounce back between people and get people's names confused. <laughs> That's everybody. That's the hardest part, is uh, getting the names right. No, I love... But I said it last time, and I'll say it again. I think we've got a fantastic cast. Oh, we totally do. I love this cast so much, and um, it, it's interesting because this is the first one I didn't cast at all. Uh, this was all you guys, and I just think they're so lovely. I think they're fantastic. Cry havoc, king. Back to the stained field with evil potent, fiery kindled spirit. <laughs> then let confusion of one part confirm the other's truth. Till then. Cry havoc. I think we've heard that somewhere before. Speaks at his arms, pouring love. It's impossible to hear the line and not think of Star Trek VI. I mean, you can think of Hamlet, of course, but, I mean, it's impossible to hear it and not think of Star Trek VI. The great Christopher Plummer. Clearly having the time of his life. He's having a bigger resurgence than I've seen any actor ever have. <laughs> Isn't he almost 90 as well? Like... He's up there. Mr. Plummer, if you'd like to come Impressive. on our show, just uh, <laughs> give me an email. Oh, man. That would be quite a coup, wouldn't it? It'd be something. <laughs> oh, Oscar nominated. How about that? I'm not sure we'd fit him in. Our cast is pretty quality, you know. It'd be tough. <laughs> hey, I, I'd just take him playing the messenger. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. A cameo role, absolutely. So I gotta give Kyle props for uh, this monologuing here. 
he uh, he was telling me in uh, an email that he he really fixated over it for a long time trying to make sure he got the emotional qualities right. Mm. I feel it's difficult jumping into a monologue having had very few lines before this moment. And also the situation of his characters changed slightly. Like there's nothing to ground this monologue in so much. So I think it's um it's very impressive for this to be like the main kind of the first involvement almost for this character. Well, th this monologue here really in a way it develops the emotional outlooks of this character. Uh, because he could have he could have very easily been vindictive or very easily become like John. Uh, but he's more calculating yeah. than that. Like, I mean, you get down to the end of it, and he may be cocky and and whatnot, but he really is an honorable guy. I mean, and probably as much as King Philip, I would say. And, and definitely more than uh, King Philip's son, Louis. Is that Louis the, the Dauphin? Uh, yes. Uh, Louis the Dauphin. Hear us, O great king, vouchsafe a while to stay, and I shall show you peace and fair-faced league. Win you this city without uh, stroke or, or wound. Rescue those breathing lives to die in beds that here come sacrifices for the field. Persever not, but, but hear me, mighty kings. Speak on with favor. We are bent to hear. Citizen's voice just feels so small. Well, I actually put it's really nice. I put as a parenthetical that he was freaked out. <laughs> yeah, don't blame him. I mean, that's what you should be if you see a giant moving castle to your left and a flying one to your right. Citizens of Angers just can't get a break. Oh, poor people. Were you conscious of that when you were putting this uh, this scene together, Joel? Uh, yeah, I finally realized the. Uh, it was, I thought it was a little weird that they went from fighting to joking, and then I realized, oh, no way. But, but he does a really great job of, you know, expressing that, uh, that sudden deep terror and, and trying to uh, go, okay, okay, let's, let's not do anything rash. <laughs> Let's handle this like civilized folk. I think it's it's an irony of the the text as well that he is more mature perhaps than uh, certain characters. Well, royalty is predisposed to madness, just mm. for many reasons. <laughs> I mean, obviously, power is corrupting, but then there's also the fact that they were all inbreds. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you throw both of those together, and it's it's like a toxic stew. Yeah, 
pits full of death and mountains, rocks and seas. Sources familiarly of roaring lions as maids of 13 do of puppy dogs. What can a near begat with lusty blood? He seeks plain cannon fire and smoke and bout. He gives the bastinado I think we should start counting the number of mentions of lions as well. <laughs> it's like when they say lions, take a drink. That's the symbol. <laughs> he also references puppy dogs. So that's like a really specific thing for Shakespeare. Thou shalt so surely tie thy now unsured assurance to the crown. Maybe that was to appeal for to uh, younger playgoers. Ah, could be. <laughs> ah, puppy dogs. <laughs> Puppies. How they whisper, urge them, while their souls are capable of this ambition, lest zeal, now melted by the windy breath of soft petitions, pity and remorse, cool. And congeal again. I kind of wish that Constance had more, had more lines in uh, this act. Of course, she gets more in the next mm. one, but but I kind of wish she had more in this one, because really these actions were spurred by her actions. So and she shows her frustration in the next uh, the next act as well. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it'd be nice to see that kind of development. But I guess in a way that's partly what Shakespeare was going for, because he wanted to show that even though she was this ambitious character, in the end she was kind of powerless. She was up to the, uh, she was she was left to the whims of whatever Philip would do for her on her behalf. And so that's the nature of tragedy, and also politics. Or a wondrous miracle, the shadow of myself formed in her eye, which being but the shadow. I think this is the best French accent that we have. It's awesome. It's very strong. I've been ranking them as I've been editing. <laughs> yeah, I remember during the casting, um, y'all were a little torn about which person to cast for Louis or King Philip. Table of her eye, hanged in the frowning wrinkle of her brow, and quartered in her heart. I mean, I know we've we've discussed casting a lot, but I think it's um, it is definitely about finding a balance. Because I mean, we had some actors who could do fantastic French accents, but then their their normal accent and their, the way they audition just lent itself so well to other characters that we can cast based solely on their accent. Right. Can with ease translate it to my will, or if you will, to speak more properly, I will enforce it easily to my love. Further, I will not flatter you, my lord. That so we have kind of the first major involvement of Blanche here as well. That nothing um. do I see in you, though churlish thoughts themselves should be your judge, that I can find should merit any hate. What say these young ones? What say you, my niece? That she is bound in honor still to do what you in wisdom still vouchsafe to say. Speak then, Prince Dolphin. Can you love this lady? Nay, ask me if I can refrain from love, for I do love her most unfeignedly. 
Then do I give Orkesson, Thorain, Maine, Petrius, and Anjou these five provinces with her to thee. In this edition more. Props to Russell Gold for getting those names right, because those were hard. I was going to say, yeah. I'm just trying to work out whether that's a good deal or not. <laughs> I was like, yeah, five, five provinces, 30,000 marks, yeah. It's quite good. Enough to buy your castle. Maybe. I don't know. What's the significance of this marriage? Uh, peace. Where basically his idea was we'll put we'll put Louis into the family and then Philip won't want to go through with Constance and, and get Arthur on the throne. He'll just kind of forget about it. Hmm. So it's a it's a very calculated political decision. And it's an interesting it's an interesting use of resolution to provoke mm -hmm. further intrigue as well. I think we can say, okay, that's that's sewn up, but actually it's a way of building up a potential scenario. Which we will see later on in the play. Yep. Everything that happens in Act Two comes to a head in Act Three, per the usual Shakespeare norm. So mm. we'll see. We'll see. I'm curious, though, uh, listeners at home, uh, what do you think of this play so far? Are you are you enjoying it? Um, even though it's a rarely uh, performed Shakespeare play. Uh, let us know on Twitter at the Wild Bill Show, and uh, we'll retweet you. I'd definitely be interested in finding out. Um, yeah, kind of opinions on the on the piece. It's like, did you? Because obviously, did you learn something about history, or did we just confuse you? <laughs> It's just whether we uh, want to continue down the history route. Yep. This is a, a fantastic speech to end the uh, end the act as well. Yes, and and this is this is uh, one of the ones that Kyle was telling me that he was having a hard time getting right, he felt. Because there's there's an emotional aspect to it, there's a logical aspect to it, and then there's a personal aspect to it. And and trying to get all three of those in the same speech is tough. But I think on the whole he nails it. Like, it's, um, again, it's Philip the Bastard showing his maturity compared to what's going on around him and it it sets up kind of a willy won't he in terms of betrayal totally makes it take heed from all indifferences from all directions and this same bias this commodity this bar this broker this all-changing word 
Well, and in a way, it also shows that he is one of the more mature characters in the play. Um, because John doesn't really have any monologues like this. Uh, he's got some big ones, but they're mostly about how he's trying to set up some political deal or how he's upset that some something he did failed. <laughs> mm. We see it earlier in this act, just the way he's his monologues are just focused around short-term political game. Right. Whereas... And anger as well. Whereas we've got Philip here, who he's he's thinking about his future, he's thinking about himself and and the others around him, and he's he's very mindful. <laughs> Even when he's silly, he's very mindful. <laughs> but that um nicely brings us to an end of an incredibly long act. This is the longest thing I've ever worked on for Pen and Shakespeare. Almost 40 minutes, y'all. Yeah. I think a good chunk of that was uh, Joel's good work, so thank you for for that, Joel. Fantastic. I'll once again shout out to our lovely new credits announcer. You did good, Julia. Written by William. That um, adapted for audio. That brings another director's commentary to an end. Assistant director. So I'm gonna wish everyone listening goodbye. And thanks for joining me, guys. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And we will see you all next time for Act Three, Part One. All right. Thanks for listening. See you then. See ya.